0: Hi, I'm Joshua Blackstone, the host of AI Among Us, where I speak with thought leaders and give them a platform to talk about their field of technology and simplify it in a way that even kids like me can understand it. I'm a current junior in high school, and I'm doing this podcast not only because I'm interested in the topic, but because I know a lot of other people who are. I want this to be a place where kids interested in AI can come and learn about it from real professionals and people in the field. So for today's episode, I'm going to be talking to Ross Mead, the founder and CEO of his company, Smino. And Ross, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh, sure, Josh. Uh,
1: happy, happy to be a part of this. Uh, so my name is Ross Mead, and I'm the the founder and CEO of Semio, a robotics software company based in Los Angeles. Uh, So we're building an operating system, app ecosystem, and developer tools for in-home personal robots. So think about like what Microsoft Windows did for personal computing, uh, SEMIO is doing for robots that will be in people's homes and workplaces in the not too distant future. Uh,
0: That's really cool. Yeah, uh, and so I was doing a little bit of research into your company and I saw that you guys are focusing on the software aspect mm -hmm. of robotics, right? So, I mean, as most people know it, Robotics has two main components, the software and hardware aspects. And so why did your company separate them into two? And then why pick software over the hardware?
1: Yeah. Um, So for us, when we were building the company. uh, You know, we can do hardware. We've done hardware in the past. My background is in robotics. And so I've done electrical engineering, mechanical engineering, and computer science. Um, But you can imagine you're splitting your resources, your time, your... your, uh, Uh, your team, your personnel, and and their expertise across all these different areas, or you can do a deep dive into one. And that's
0: what we do. So, it allows us to specialize. It
1: allows us to specialize. specialize. And our target there is to be the the common software platform for a variety of different robot hardware platforms. And our focus is on enabling the application developers to build their applications while not having to worry about the nitty-gritty details of how the hardware works.
0: So how do you actually support these application developers uh, we work with them and
1: we create, uh, these, uh, abstraction layers is what we call them. So it basically says that you don't care, for example, how the robot moves, the robot can be moving with two wheels. It can be moving with four wheels. It could be moving with legs. You don't care, uh, how it moves. Um, you just know that there's a very simple way to command the robot to get it to move from point A to point B. Right. So we define that interface. And then for the application developer, the people who, who are building the robot apps, um, they use that interface. So they, they, they say, I don't care how the robot moves, I just know that it can move. And my application tells the robot to move in this way. And so we try to create that barrier between the application developer and the robot developer uh, so that all these apps can, can work in a cross-platform way.
0: So you're kind um, of an adapter.
1: Uh, well, we, we create that. Uh, our platform facilitates that uh, that connection. Uh, the way that we make it really easy for application developers, and the way that uh, I'd say we really distinguish our, ourselves from uh, from other companies, is that we create uh, tools for the application developer to use. So, for example, for the robots that are going to be in your home, uh, you know, in in the future, uh, they're going to be talking to you. They're going to be gesturing around you. Uh, and they're going to be understanding what you're saying and understanding what you're doing with your, with your body as you move. Um, and so for people to build applications for that, it's not just writing code. A lot of it has to do with what the robot's going to say. And to make really interesting dialogue for a robot, uh, you typically don't have a programmer do that. You have a professional writer. Or character developer to do that who is right. probably not a programmer. Uh, to make the robot move in an engaging way, you probably have an animator who's animating the robot. So imagine bringing a Pixar character into your home. That's kind of what we're wanting to do. And we're designing the tools that enable non-programmers to build the conversational
0: content that would be then deployed and, and executed by the robot. Uh, uh, yeah. I understand. All right. So then the purpose of your software, is it just to work as an upgrade or are you really just trying to make them more Human.
1: So that, that's a that's a really good question. Uh, I would say that we never are trying to make a robot be human. So that's a really important thing that we try to distinguish. We're not trying to make robots that are human like. We try to make robots that are human interpretable. Mm-hmm. What we mean by that is, uh, so you've seen, uh, you know, uh, the the little uh, lamp in uh, yeah. in a Pixar thing, right? Where it jumps out, it, it squashes the uh, squashes right. the little eye, right? Yeah. uh So um, have you seen the animation that? Uh, there's something called the luxo jr animation where it's two lamps and there's a there's a ball that's rolling around uh have you seen this animation before i'm not sure i have when you get a chance after this go check out the luxo jr animation um and it's one of the things that pixar did a long time ago as like a a, an animated short before one of their films um and what's really interesting about that is that it's two lamps and, and lights and a ball and so it doesn't look like a person and yet A neurotypical audience who is watching this would all interpret the story in basically the same way you understand that there's a relationship between this larger lamp uh sort of like a parent or guardian relationship with with that and a smaller lamp which is clearly some sort of child uh there's a ball the ball goes flat the child gets you know sad uh and the parent gets another one and the the child is happy again when this, this ball comes back in but there were no eyes there were no Arms, um, you know, th- there there weren't the traditional features of human, and yet everyone interpreted it in approximately the same way, and that right there is is kind of what we're trying to tap into. So WALL-E mm. for example, has features that are human-like, but not exactly the same as a human. Humans interpret things as we uh, kind of want to do what's called anthropomorphize things, so uh, give things these human-like qualities. So if you look at a yeah. car, you might you might look at the the lights as eyes, right? And the grill is like a mouth, perhaps. Um, constellations in the sky are a really good example of how we anthropomorphize the world. There is no Orion the Hunter in the sky, but we refer to it as such because we, you know, we we, we create a story, create a narrative around the, the collection of of stars. Um, and so humans want to do this, and it's our job, the you know, semio's job, to try and understand how people interpret these kinds of things and use that to make robots easier to use in people's everyday lives without adding the cost of trying to add like crazy human-like features that are really really complicated to the system
0: all right that makes sense and so i guess what you're saying kind of connects to the term uh socially assistive robots right Mm -hmm. and so i did some research and back in college you wrote your dissertation on that right yeah. And so could you explain briefly what that, what they are and maybe some places I'd see them in my day-to-day life or yeah, some examples? Of course. Yeah. So, I mean, j-
1: just to give some, some general definitions here, I mean, if we're talking about a robot, just what a traditional robot is, uh, uh, you know, we would say that this is something that has a very clearly defined embodiment. So it's something that has a, a body that starts and stops somewhere, um, that senses its environment, makes decisions based on what it senses, and then acts based on those decisions. Um right. furthermore, I would go farther and say that the robot definitely has to have some way of physically moving in the environment, whether it be an arm or its whole body, um, but it has to be able to move. Uh, mm-hmm. And so that that would be a, a, just a traditional robot. And, and traditionally, we would. Give robots a command and we would send them away to do tasks that are uh, dirty, dangerous, or dull. These are called the three Ds of robotics. Um, We'd send them away to go do these tasks, but more and more we're having robots that are now coming to people and and sharing space with people. um, And you know, then the question is, well, how does the human and the robot work together in those situations? And and there are a variety of different options. The one that we focus on is uh, through natural communication through speech and body language. And so a robot that uses standard social signals, social communication that people do, is what we would call a social robot. Uh, So a social robot is one that uses uh, natural communication to interact with people. Going one step further, socially assistive robots are those social robots that use social interaction as a way to help people in their everyday lives. And so um, particularly people with special needs. So we work with kids with autism, people post-stroke, older adults, uh, people with Alzheimer's to improve overall quality of life. And we're doing this primarily through social mechanisms. What I mean by that is Um, Having a robot that could serve as a a motivational coach or an exercise coach or uh, some sort of uh, uh, therapist uh, with a person, right? Um, There, the robot is not lifting things up or moving things around for the person. It's using what you and I are doing right now uh, to try and help the person. And so that's what we mean by a socially assistive robot.
0: And have there been many benefits in this field? Have you noticed that it's actually been helping people? Yeah, yeah.
1: So I mean, and understand that, you know, this is still like brand new science. So, yeah. you know, th- there are not commercial products that are that are deployed at a very large scale um, that are doing this right now. We're still in the very early days of this. But um, yeah, we've seen results with robots that are uh, uh, trying to uh, help with social skills interventions with kids with autism. Uh, so helping, uh, you know, helping a child with uh, autism who might not uh, might not have traditionally understood that when someone's pointing at something, um, that they should direct their attention to the thing that they're pointing at, and that the person is intending for them to look there. You know, we've seen robots that can be used to try and uh, and try and teach that behavior. Um, we've seen robots that are used to motivate an older adult to do physical exercises uh, mm-hmm. throughout the day, um, uh, or cognitive exercises like playing memory games. Um, and uh, we've seen a robot that would guide a person uh, who's had a stroke where they've, lo- they've lost some movement in, in, let's say, their arm, right? You can gain that movement back, but you have to do constant exercise. and You have to be constantly monitored as you do it. And there's no person who can be around constantly for that, that patient. So the robot can actually monitor the person, give them feedback in real time. And we've seen robots that can actually help uh, with that task. And so, again, the science is still preliminary. It's still very new, um, but the potential is is really there.
0: So you think that in a few years, not maybe even more like a few decades, you think that they can actually become more beneficial than in human interaction with some of these patients? So uh,
1: one of the first things I'd say is that we do try to stray away from the idea that uh, uh, the
0: robot is going to,
1: let's say, exceed what a human is able to do. Um, yeah. In in one of these situations, a lot of the fears in the past have been about robots and automation replacing people in in Mm -hmm. the workplace. Um, For us, we're very focused on uh, making sure that the robot is supplementing existing care. What we mean by that is uh, if you're a person who's had a stroke, um, you might only be able to see some sort of specialist or therapist maybe once or twice a week um, sometimes, um, and you only get to see them for a short period of time. And then you have to go home, and the hope is that you continue to do what they've recommended you do to take care of yourself. Um, now, the problem is that because there are so many people who are affected by various disabilities and disorders, the specialists only have so much time in the day. So they can't be working with these people constantly. They can't be monitoring them constantly. and so. Uh, The person goes home, you hope they do these things. Um, It would be nice to be able to send them home with a robot. And the robot could monitor what the person is doing in the home. The robot could give them advice Mm -hmm. in the home. And the robot could give an appropriate report back to the therapist who could then say, "Okay, I'm understanding how Josh is recovering. And I can then have the robot do other things to, to, to promote continued recovery. But the key thing here is that, you know, there are more people affected by the various disabilities and disorders than there are people who can possibly help them. And the numbers are only getting worse, which means you're in this case, the robot is not replacing anyone. The robot is actually providing care where care did not exist. Mm -hmm. So the robot is doing a job that no human could do because we don't have
0: enough humans to do that.
1: Um, So so this is not this is definitely not replacement. This is augmentation. This is supplemental care.
0: And it's more of a tool rather than, yeah, rather than replacement, yeah. it's more of a tool for the therapist or whoever it is to do exactly. the job more effectively in the small time that they have. Exactly. That makes sense. Yeah. And so uh, your company, does it integrate AI into it in any form? And if not, do you see it in the future?
1: Yeah. Uh, I mean, we, we definitely work in, in, in AI and it, it's important to understand what AI is. Um, and so yeah. to, to give some definitions, I'll try to give a, a bunch of very quick high-level, definitions if anyone works in ai you'll probably critique me on how there's nuance here ignore that i'm giving the very uh, basics here so one thing i would say is you know at, at the top level i'm going to say you have a robot okay yeah. robot has a body has sensors and, and uh, uh can uh, act in the world uh there are some robots that i'm going to say uh, have ai and there are robots that are that, that do not have ai okay so just mm-hmm. w- one of two um the ai aspect is all about decision making so it's 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 does the robot have to make uh, some sort of decision in the environment. And if it's a very simple decision, I'm going to say it's not, not an AI. Um, if it's having to make one decision from which there are millions and millions and millions of possible options, that to me is where AI is coming to play because it's usually not evaluating everything. It's trying to, trying to figure out what's the best estimate I can make. That's where I'm going to say that it's an AI enabled robot. Now within AI, I'm going to say there are two kinds of AI. Uh, there's a data-driven AI and a non-data-driven AI. So when you, talk, when you hear about big data, this is kind of what they're talking about, okay? Yeah. And so uh, non-data-driven AIs are just something where I, I know that there are rules about the about the world, and like like chess, for example, or checkers. I know the rules. It's not really a, a whole lot of data that I'm using to inform what I'm doing. Um, I know the rules, and I can make the AI play given the rules, okay? Mm-hmm. A data-driven AI is something where you have some sort of data set. You might have done some sort of statistical analysis, let's say for now by hand, um, and, uh, and I use that to inform what the AI does, how it makes its decisions. Yeah. Underneath the data-driven AI, there's learned and not learned. So, uh, a not learned one is, okay, I, I, I did some manual analysis of a data set and I'm using that to inform what my AI does. Okay. I'm going to say it's not learned. A learned right. one using machine learning is something where you, you're using a computer to, to analyze a complex data set to come up with these parameters for your data-driven AI. And then within machine learning, there is—I would branch it off as there's like right now. I'd say it's deep learning and not deep learning. It's not deep learning. These are more traditional AI methods. Um, and then deep learning is sort of this, this newer set of methods uh, that have come out in the past decade um, that are we're going to say loosely inspired uh, on the way that that the human brain might work. Um, and uh, there's a time and place to use each method. N- one is, neither one is correct. It's just that, you know, it, right. it, it's a tool in your toolbox. So that's how I'm going to break it down. Robots, AI, data-driven, machine learning, deep learning. Those are the branches that we deal with here. Right. All that to say, yes, we do use uh, different subcategories of AI in what we do. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes it's learned, sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's just data-driven, but it's manually entered. Um, right for some elements we're using deep learning as our machine learning method um sometimes we're using more traditional machine learning methods um so ai is a very broad broad category here um and uh
0: uh, we're using it in a bunch of different ways so could you give us any like examples of how you use it
1: yeah yeah so um Let's do this. So our uh, our dialogue system. So this is sort of a, uh, you know, a writer would go in and they would write, let's use a knock knock joke. So they would write, you know, if the user says knock knock, the robot says who's there. The user says something and the robot repeats whatever they said who. Right. And, you know, that that right there, that back and forth, that I'm going to say is a very simple manually constructed AI. Okay so. Um, there might be decisions that are going there. Hey, how are you feeling, good or bad, right? There's a decision that has to be made there and the robot has to follow that decision. The AI has to follow that decision. Um, But those might be manually uh, created. Now, an area where we would use a data-driven approach that is learned and we're using deep learning um, would be something like maybe the user can say something in 10 different ways, right? So they could say hi, they could say hey, they can say hello, right? They can say sup, you know, like those kinds of things, yeah. right? So th- there are these different greetings. In each, we're saying each one of those means the same thing. So we would train our, uh, our model to recognize the intent of the user when they say something. And that's using mm-hmm. maybe one of these more, you know, uh, learned methods. Um, mm-hmm. An area where we use uh, machine learning that is not deep learning um, would be something like uh, in our animation system. So when you animate the robot, you might say, here's here's it doing this motion when the robot is happy. And here's a version of it doing uh, this motion when the robot is sad, right? Right. Um, Now give me something that's like 50% happy, right? And our particular technique we use does not use machine learning or uh, does not use deep learning. I'm sorry, but it uses a more traditional method of machine learning. Uh, And then finally, I would say a data-driven approach that is not learned for our AI um, would be... Uh, how the robot decides where it should position itself to have a face-to-face conversation. So if you and I were in, uh, in, in the same room, where would Ross position himself with respect to Josh? Um, you know, We're trying to make the robot make that same decision. And that right there is data that we've collected um, from experiments between human-human and human-robot participants. And we've manually entered them into a traditional uh, uh, AI framework uh, to allow the robot to make that decision. So this is right. the, basically all this to say we are using non-data-driven, non-learned uh, uh, AI in some areas. We are using non-learned data-driven AI in some areas. We are using uh, uh, learned uh, AI, using deep learning in some areas, and we're using learned AI that's not deep learning in other areas.
0: Wow. Yeah, you guys have the monopoly on AI. <laughs> well, it's such a broad
1: area. I mean, that's the thing, about it. It's such a broad area. It's... My my hope, honestly, if there's one thing that people could take away about AI based on what you and I are talking about right now, I would actually say it would be that sort of like that tree structure that I was talking about. Robots and AI, not data-driven, machine learning and not machine learning and under machine learning, deep learning and not deep learning. That right there, I think, really helps just understand what we truly mean when someone says AI, right? Because AI and machine learning are not one and the same. They're right. not the exact same thing. Um, and so that, that's, that's why I, I would say, you know that, that would be the one takeaway I'd like people to, to have from this.
0: I know it's helpful for me, at least for the visual.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Cause I mean, I just understood it as like a general concept but this helped me go into a little bit more deeper understanding. But sadly we're out of time today and I'm so grateful to Ross for spending so much time with us and covering so many areas of interest that we're gonna continue this conversation in a part two. where We're gonna talk about business and the future of AI and robotics. So thank you all for tuning in today and I'll see you next time on AI Among.